felt like I used up all of my help from when I had surgery and from pre-chemo and cancer. And I was so mad. I like my biggest pet peeve is asking for help. Mm-hmm. It always has been. And I know that that stems from like, I had a lot of learning disabilities when I was younger and like, I appreciate it now being a grown up and understanding it, that help was like forced upon me yes. scholastically. But at the same time, like I just have always rejected it. Cause I'm just like, no, I can do it on my own. No, yeah. go. Yeah. And, um, so I felt that way. And then when that pasta incident happened, the next day I went to cancer club and I was telling that story. And this guy who he comes through like maybe once a year and yeah. he, he survived childhood cancer. And so, you know, he's pretty detached from it as much as a cancer survivor will go, will it yeah. can be. And he just looked me dead in the eyes and he said, you will not survive without help. Yeah. And I was just like, (laughs) so bad to hear someone say the thing that I feared the most. And I was talking about, I like mentioned something about my cat litter box. And he's like, I will come over and clean your cat litter box. Like he's basically a stranger. And I I was like, no, it's fine. It's fine. But he's like, you will not survive without help. And it just stuck with me. And from that point on, I had to have someone with me every weekend. Kia ora and welcome back to The C Word, the podcast for cancery people. I'm your host, Helen King. If you like what you hear today, please subscribe on iTunes and Spotify or come say hi on Facebook and Instagram. Before I kick off the show today, I want to give a little plug to a fundraiser that is going on. So the lovely women at Touched by Pink, who are three breast cancer survivors who launched this amazing undergarment shop for people who have gone through mastectomies and and that sort of thing. And they are fundraising at the moment for a young woman in Wellington here in New Zealand who has a very aggressive type of breast cancer and needs some very expensive treatment. So I've chucked the link up on the Facebook page. Uh, Raffle tickets are just $5 each and you go in the drawer to win a bra or top and uh, matching underwear. Please go check it out and give it some love. Buy those tickets so the lovely woman at Touched by Pink can give a donation. Today's episode is with a woman that I met in 2018 when I signed up to do an online course with an amazing woman I had been following on Instagram. Now, I was terrible at keeping up with the coursework, probably because I was still in active treatment for chemo. Um, But I met some amazing people that I have kept in touch with, which, in my opinion, was just as valuable. Claire Doody was one of those people. She is a Portland-based fashion designer and followed a similar cancer path as I did. She was 34 when she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. November is pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month, so I thought it was only fitting to do an episode with Claire. Pancreatic cancer is often caught too late, so the stats aren't great for outcomes. So in New Zealand, uh, pancreatic cancer is one of the cancers that often um, people present late in emergency rooms where the... um, where it's advanced and not much can be done. But Claire was one of the few people who was diagnosed in early stages, which has much greater outcomes um, in terms of long-term survival. 
So after we caught up on post-election news and general update on COVID, Claire shared her story with me. Now, she had actually been having issues with her pancreas in the years leading up to her diagnosis. After a cyst cut off blood supply to her spleen, she had surgery. The first test came back negative for cancer, but her doctor asked for a second opinion just to be on the safe side. They, they told me that they were going to send everything to the Mayo Clinic for a second opinion because the pathology labs that they, or the labs that they did the pathology in, they, um, it's not something that they see very often. So they just wanted to have a second opinion. And I officially dubbed that shit-colored lining at that point mm. um, for things that happened instead of the silver lining because shit-colored lining of them sending it off to the Mayo Clinic um, Two weeks later, they called me back and said, which was exactly a month after I had surgery. And they're like, my, I remember the phone call because my surgeon asked me if I was alone, first of all. And I was just like, oh, fuck. fuck yeah. Like, and I was alone. Um, it was like, it was, a, I don't know, probably a Tuesday or Wednesday at, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon. And I lived alone. And um, I... She was just like, I just want you to know there was a cluster, a small cluster of cells that we found in the middle of the cyst or that they that they found when it went to the Mayo Clinic um, that are cancer cells. And um, I'm going to give you a reference to an oncologist and you need to follow up with them as soon as possible. Um, to which, you know, my head just started spinning and I remember like I can't remember a lot of details about it but I remember asking I remember saying do I have to have chemotherapy and this pause that felt like it was seven days long and she's like most likely yes um and you know all of the thoughts went through my head of if you ask anyone what they think about pancreatic cancer or know about pancreatic cancer it is that everyone dies and so I just immediately was like, fuck, I'm going to die. And I somehow managed to like text my best friend um, that this was happening. And then I was able to text my partner and like my best friend lives very close. And so he came over very quickly and stayed until my partner got here. And then I called my parents and um, my doctor was like, trying to get me in as quickly as possible. And it basically was like, okay, the next day I'm going to see an oncologist. Um, and so then I, you know, it was one of those other things of it being so blurry. And so I can, I can remember certain things. I can remember waking up and um, because I, I'm a clothing designer for my job, clothing is, you know, a form of art for me and something that I definitely take, I put a lot of thought into and I, you know, for me, it's a way to express myself. And so I remember waking up and just be like, what the fuck do you wear when you might be told you have cancer? Yeah. <laughs> and I decided it was something sparkly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, uh, a shiny silver dress. That is what you wear when yeah. you might be told, when you're going to be, I was already told I had cancer cells. And, you know, it was, it seemed inevitable at that point. I was going to be told I had cancer. Um, 
And so my parents came down from Seattle and my partner went with me and we all went to the appointment and I, I basically like, I can't remember a lot of details, but one thing I remember is him, my oncologist on the paper, on the table, drawing out different statistics Mm -hmm. of survival rates of um, survival rates of people who a different, you know, not, not necessarily different stages, but like different things of like, Oh, well they have to have, I only had to have about um, a seventh of my pancreas removed and the cyst and my spleen. Um, But you know, there's other people that have to have a procedure called the Whipple procedure, which is a much more invasive uh, surgery to the pancreas. And so, you know, he kind of discussed different potentials, but what I just kept hearing was like, anytime he would be discussing, um, you know, lifespans, it was numbers of months. Like it was, you know, this, like doing this form of treatment or not doing this treatment, 48 months, 22 months, 60 months, 12 months. And it just was like, you're saying months. And I'm at the time I was 34, like, no, months is not an option. Um, but at the same time, unfortunately, with pancreatic cancer, it is something that they don't find early. And thankfully, they found I had, you know, we all have our very long formal cancer names, um, yeah. which I was stage T1A N0 M0 pancreatic cancer. Um my tumor has a name and I can never remember it. My boyfriend remembers it, but I can't. <laughs> I'm horrible. I can't remember my tumor day, but it also wasn't a tumor technically. It was a cyst, but you know, details. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, I don't, that day was just such a blur again. Um, I remember getting back to my house and telling my boyfriend at the end of all of it, um, which is just kind of hilarious. I just looked him. I'm, I'm someone, I got divorced. It was a very nasty divorce. I will, I doubt that I will get married again unless it like is a necessity. And I just looked him and I said, if I don't fucking die, I'm going to marry the shit out of you. (laughs) (laughs) But guess what? I haven't died yet. We haven't gotten married, but But we did just buy a house together. So it's kind of our version of marriage. (laughs) Yeah. It's so funny because I've been married and divorced too. And um, I don't plan on getting married, but my partner Ross and I have bought a house together and I kind of feel like that's, that's kind of, you know, a house is way better than a husband. Let's be real. It really, really is. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting because I, um, I'm always struck when I talk to other people who've had cancer that there's these little things that you go, yep, t- yep. And mm-hmm. and I, I can remember what I was wearing the day I went to the surgeons. And I can, yeah, that phone call because of what happened here because I had the mammogram and then that gets sent to my GP, which is... My, I think you guys call it a primary care doctor. We have, some people call them GPs, general practitioners, or the yeah. primary care physician. Yeah. yeah. Same, same thing. Same thing. Yeah, your everyday doctor. And, um, yeah, getting that phone call, um, you know, Dr. Borthorpe wants you to come in, and we, we really recommend you bring someone. And oh. You think, oh. <laughs> like, smart. at that point, just say, you have cancer, yeah. But we're going to fix it. Or like, you have cancer, but just come in. Like, don't yeah. 
God, because then how long did they make you wait then after they told you that over the phone? I actually had, I, I went in that day. I, oh, I was so lucky with, because um, here we have a public health system. Mm-hmm. And so some people have health insurance. And I did because I used to work for a health insurer. And so mm-hmm. I kept my policy. And I was so lucky because it meant that I just got in and I saw people and it happened really quickly. Um, otherwise, there can be a much longer wait. Um, but that, yeah, when they start telling you the stats, and that's the frightening part. My surgeon was far more optimistic than my oncologist. My oncologist was just really straight to the point. Because um, yeah. I had HER2 positive breast cancer, which is very aggressive. And um, I was staged at stage two. And I remember that first meeting with the oncologist. And he said, oh, I'm very surprised they staged you there. <laughs> I thought, <laughs> was he surprised because he thought you should be higher or lower? <laughs> yeah. Oh no, no! That, thanks, thanks for instilling a lot of confidence in me when I just walked through the door. I <laughs> know, and all those, yeah. When they just start throwing those stats out at you, it's just so. It's it is surreal. It is really really surreal, and um, I had so many of those same thoughts of. Oh no, wanna, you know, am I going to fucking die? Is that mm-hmm. is that what's going mm-hmm. on here? And I was really pissed off because I'd had these years of just, you know, I'd had the divorce and I'd had all of this other stuff happen and I was kind of at the stage where it was, life was felt like it was settling down. Mm-hmm. And then this happened and I was, <clears throat> I was so annoyed. <laughs> oh, Yeah. No, I completely understand. Mm. It's I. There's definitely many things in my life that I just was like, that cancer, cancer canceled, and mm. I was almost more mad at the fact that it got canceled because of that than I yes. than the fact that I had cancer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It is, and I and I feel. I mean, uh, people have different experiences, and they're all valid, and they're all what happens for that individual. And I feel sometimes when you are. Uh, younger when you get cancer the stakes are often higher and the impact is quite big because it's things like I don't know if I can have children Mm -hmm. Um, and that feels um you know to have that choice kind of taken feels really unfair and yeah I was just starting a new sort of um, job and and direction in my career and I know all of those things you know are kind of um I don't know, I don't want to say that's small because it's sort of like, well, I have my life now. But at the same time, it's like, fuck cancer. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they still, they still matter, even, you know, doesn't, mm. the size or scale of them is not what's important. Yeah, I, when I had my first initial appointment with my oncologist, I remember during, he was like, well, would you like to start fertility treatments? And I just was like, what? Huh? Like, mm. you just fucking told me I have pancreatic cancer that everyone dies from, and yeah. now you're asking if I want to start fertility treatments? Like, yeah. I can't think about that. Yeah. And I and I told him, I was just like, I don't, you know, once again, don't remember details, but I remember basically just being like, no, I don't want to die. I don't care about kids right yeah. now. Like, yeah. what, what does it matter if I can have children if I'm, you know, like, no, yeah. don't, don't, I don't want to delay anything anymore. So it was, it's, and yeah, but that's also, 
I'm in a young survivors group um, that I have just nicknamed Cancer Club, and everyone else yes. has started calling it Cancer Club because you know it's like a, a book club but for cancer. Yeah, and we talk about that a lot. Like, thankfully, there are um, people in there of childbearing years, and um, it's it's something that's really hard because there's you know there's people in there that are desperate for that. And there's people in there that, like myself and potentially like yourself, that that was basically kind of crossed off. And it was like, you can save yourself or you could have the potential of having children and potentially save yourself. So what do you want to do? Yeah, (laughs) I I was kind of lucky because I didn't have hormone involvement. He Mm -hmm. was comfortable with me having fertility treatment. And um, because I hadn't had children and I was under 40, I was funded for it, um, which was, and so I basically, I had, I went mastectomy, fertility treatment, straight into chemo and straight into <sighs> menopause. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Welcome to being a grown up. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. Um, but it's kind of, yeah, so I was 37 when I had, the infertility treatment so it means that um there's the percentage of those two embryos working is whatever that stat was but now pushing 40 I think my chance of getting pregnant naturally is like seven percent or something like that um so it's yeah it's it's really it's tough there is a grief around that stuff that um that is quite hard to describe to other people because I and I guess I get really annoyed with that. So just be positive. You know, I know lots of people who had children in their 40s and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, <laughs> you know, just let me feel sad about this because it's like, it's one of the many things that cancer kind of did. And it's, um, yeah, that's, that's a hard pill to swallow, I think. Oh, yeah, it definitely is. It was, it was something that, it was interesting for me because, it was like a multi-step process for me with with the whole children aspect that hmm. when I got divorced, I, for me, I always was going to have kids. I was a nanny for like 10 years. Yeah. I love children. I, it was, you know, not a question. And then I got divorced and I like <laughs> shut it down. I was like, hell no, never going to have children. Why would I want to be attached to someone for 18 years when they're a monster? Like, no. Uh, yeah. And then I... Um, started dating my partner and he made it very clear from the beginning that he was never interested in having children. And I was like, that's fine. I'm like 95% sure I'm not going to. Um, and sometimes that would go lower, you know, but I was <laughs> like, whatever, I'm going to, I also was, you know, newly divorced. I started yeah. dating my ex-husband when I was 20 and everything basically wrapped up by the time I was 29. And so, um, I, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't dated anyone as an adult. And I was like, well, I'm just gonna, I went on, my partner and I went on one date to just go on one date. And which then turned into, we'll be together for four years at the end of this month. Um, and so it was, you know, I, I didn't want to shut that door, but I also was like, the door's barely cracked. Like, let's be real. Yeah. And then when everything happened with cancer, I was like, that door is slammed and locked and sealed because when it came down to it, there was one time um, I was talking to someone about it and um, 
they were just like, I will do anything. Like they were like, if I die, I die. And and my husband will take care of the baby. Mm. And I just remember being like, I could never feel those feels. And I don't, I do not pass any judgment upon them. They are totally valid in their feelings. But for me, I was just like, oh, I would feel incredibly guilty. Like to me, it seemed like, and this is, you know, like I said, extremely personal. All of these choices are extremely personal and I don't pass any judgment upon anyone else. But to me, I was just like, I could never do that to a child Mm. to know that we never know if our cancer would come back. We never know if it'll come back in a new form. We never, we don't, we don't know the future. And so it was just, it was something for me that was just kind of, sealed with that and and also sealed with the fact that it sounds like chemo probably scrambled my insides anyways mm-hmm. it's yeah it, that is a hard one because i yeah that's very difficult kind of thinking if i have a kid am i opening them up to having a parent that dies mm-hmm. yeah, yeah and that is a very difficult one because i kind of it's funny for me because i was the other way around where i thought i didn't want kids mm. Um, and then I realized, and this is part of the process of um, my marriage ending, was I realized I did want children and I did not want to have them with the person I was with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought to give myself, because I was 36 and I thought, you know, my best, <laughs> my best fertility years are now gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to give us both the chance of actually being in a relationship with someone where it worked, it was best to, you know, end things there. Um, and so, yeah, now that I'm in a relationship where it's like, yeah, let, we'd both like to have children and that may not happen. It just, there's that little kid in me that goes, oh, that's so unfair. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's like the cancer kid in us that I feel like that comes up in so many places and mm-hmm. to, uh, take this tangent that I went on way back to your original question of (laughs) what has changed since COVID because of my immunity. Like that's something that I have a super hard problem with is that the whole beginning of uh, when COVID happened and we went into lockdown here in the States in March, um, I, and it's something that I've struggled with ever since I'm, I feel like throwing a tantrum half the time because Mm -hmm. I'm so mad I'm like it's and I keep I don't know like I keep trying to put words to it and I talk to my therapist but I'm like I have cancer PTSD because I'm stuck in my house again yeah I have to like when I was going through chemo like I couldn't hug my nephews they couldn't go above me I couldn't be around anyone who could potentially be sick at all I you know there was we all know the long list of things um especially because my chemo that I was on was notorious for like I don't know if do you know Nulasta? 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 Yeah. It's yeah. like a it's a blood cell boosting. Yes. Um, yes. It's like a little pod that they put on you and you I had basically yeah. so they they told me I was gonna have it um because of the chemo they're like it really can like fuck up your blood count. Mm. And um once again, here's one of my famous tangents. So I, they were like, okay, we want to get this approved by your insurance. And um, it is, I think it was twelve or $16,000 a, a shot, a dose. And I had 12 rounds of chemo and they wanted to give it to me after every round. So it would have been 
you know, 12 times 12 or 12 times 16,000. I can't remember which one it was. And I got rejected multiple times by my insurance agency to the point that my oncologist called the medical director of the whole entire insurance company. And they had the audacity to say pancreatic cancer is incurable. We're not going to pay for that. And my oncologist was like, no, it's not for her. It's like, you know, there's, there's not a lot of research on stage one and um, stage two, cause it does, it's usually not found then. And so they're like, we have, we have high hopes and it, you know, we hope that it is curable for her. And like, they fought it and fought it and fought it and they finally got it approved. And then, you know, the best thing was I didn't even need it. I was just like, it felt so nice to be like, Oh, you finally say I could have this. I don't even want it. No, but, uh, yeah, it just, so I went on tangent. I'll go back. <laughs> um, it just is, yeah, it's this, right now it's this moment of like, I feel like I'm sick again and yeah. I'm not sick. Yeah. And that just really messes with my head. Um, and it's just, you know, it's everyone, I, I said it before and I say it every, every time. Everyone has pandemic fatigue. Everyone has election fatigue. Everyone has just regular fatigue. Let's be real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And people are getting lazy and, you know, just doing what they want to do. And it's, it's very, very hard to not take that personally, to not feel like you are making these choices to do whatever you want to go somewhere for the weekend or to have people come into your house or to, you know, anything, go, go shopping for the day. Yes. And by doing that and making those choices and then not being honest with people who you are visiting or seeing, not being honest with people in your life, not being honest with yourself about the risks that you are taking, you make me feel like you don't care about me because I'm the, I'm the person that would die. I'm the person that, you know, would um, end up in the hospital on a ventilator. I'm the person that would get very ill from this. And I'm doing basically everything I possibly can to not have that happen. And so it's just, it's hard with friends right now. And it's hard. Um, I've had some people just um, be flippant about it. And I'm like, anytime that someone is or something, the situation is, I just come back to like, I fought way too hard through chemo to survive cancer that I'm not going to let COVID kill me. (laughs) I'm so with you there because, I mean, we have been so, so lucky in New Zealand. We have had less than 10 deaths, I think. Um, And, you know, at the moment, if we do have cases, they're in what we call, I think, Fox News (laughs) called concentration camps. Oh, Fox. Of course they would. <laughs> oh, we're, so, we're, in, we're under some oh, sort of fascist regime. But they're in isolation facilities, so when people come home, they just have to stay. And it's a hotel. Some of them are like fancy hotels that the government is, you know, paying to have people in. So that's, Oh, wait, your government's taking care of you? What's that yeah. like? Yeah. So that's, a, that's our fascist regime, is staying mm-hmm. in like, you know, four-star <laughs> hotels to isolate people. <laughs> That sounds dreamy. Yeah. How can I safely get there? <laughs> can we get married? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's legal here. So yeah. Great, great. I'll be right there. <laughs> but it's um 
yeah, so we we don't have a lot of COVID in the community. But I, you know, a woman came to my work the other day, full of the flu. She had a mask on. I think that's, she thought it was okay. But because, and I'm pretty sure my immunity is back to normal, but you're never really sure. And I think the underlying thing for me is, is it is kind of like the flu in the sense that for some people you would get it, you'd be really sick, but you would recover. For other people, for some whatever reason, they can die from it. And yeah, exactly. And, you know, um, it could be our parents because they're older mm-hmm. or vulnerable. Or you hear about people who are young and really fit and they get it and die. And I kind of think, yeah, you are selfish if you are taking that for granted and just thinking, oh, I want to go and see my friends. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's kind of, yeah, we need to be protecting each other from yeah. potential death or serious sort of complications. Yeah, it's something that is just, it just makes me sad about the United States right now. That it's, that, you know, it's, <clears throat> it has a lot to do with our leadership, obviously, or lack thereof. But um, just the fact that like mask wearing is political, yes. political, political, oh my good. <laughs> political. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. That word did not want to come out. We would have been stuck there for 10 minutes. Um, but just, you know, the fact that people are talking about the, it's my right. Like, you're taking away my rights by telling me to wear this mask. And it just, um, it's just showing the true colors of like how self-centered and selfish people can be. And I pride myself on not being that way. And yeah. I am an empathetic sponge that thinks about others and their opinions, honestly, too much, probably. And so right now it's a super hard time for me because I'm just like watching everyone walk around, be idiots and assholes. And it just hurts my heart and it makes me mad. And I just, there's been some people in my life are like, well, you just have to ignore it. And you have to, you know, you just have to like realize that you can't control them. And, you know, my logical brain is like, yes, I understand I can't control them. And my other brain that won't be named is just like, fuck you. I can't believe you want me to die. And you are spitting inside my mouth. And it's the worst thing that's ever happened. And it's just, you know, I can't help but go down that path. And it's, um, I am actively trying to control that better. But it also is... It feels like it's happening more. I'm like, it would be one thing if it was getting better, but it's getting worse and people are caring less. So, sorry, my levels are going to continue to rise. (laughs) But I was thinking back to, um, you know, that idea of regaining normal life because that was very much you know, um, the goal of after cancer treatment, you know, I don't know if your oncologist said to you, now you go and, you know, live your life and normal and all of that sort of stuff and I don't actually think there is normal after cancer um and I've really no (laughs) and I've really struggled with the physical side of things because I was so wrecked by um chemo Mm -hmm. and I used to be a person that would be you know training at the gym three four times a week and hiking on the weekends all that stuff and I cannot do that anymore and I have no idea (laughs) Oh, I did that and worked a full-time job and all of Mm -hmm. that stuff. And it just occurred to me as we're talking, thinking maybe that wasn't normal. Maybe that was not how you're meant to live, 
you know, maybe going for a nice mm-hmm. walk around the block with the dog is is how enough. I'm, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to bash anyone's choices. Like, if mm. that if that is what brings you joy, please do it. <laughs> but I'm not going to be joining you in that joy. <laughs> it's yeah. It was. I definitely. Um. I super struggled at the end uh, because my my chemo was cumulative with yes. the side effects and everything, and um, so by the end, I was uh, I was a puddle of a human. Mm-hmm. I could barely get myself upstairs to go to bed or use the bathroom. There's times that I would go upstairs, and then I would just tell whoever because I was living alone during chemo and so people would my boyfriend or my parents or my sister some of my friends would come and stay with me because I think it was maybe the second session of chemo Um, I was the third I, I realized I forgot a little part in my story before that I had my first round of chemo and then because my chemo started exactly five weeks after or six, whatever the either five or six, mm. there's like an amount of time after surgery that then yeah. you can start chemo. Yeah. And so I had my first round of chemo and then I ended up getting an infection that was surgery related. Yes. And because of that and because of my immune system being super depressed, um, they were like, you have to stop chemo. Mm. So I started chemo. It was like, hurry up and wait. Started chemo and then had to wait for almost nine weeks wow. to then start chemo again. Yeah. And in that time, my hair fell out. I like everything. My, I had a port fail during that time and had to get my port replaced and just like all this, you know, it's, it's mm. amazing that you can forget all the shit mm. that happens during cancer. Yes. Um, but, oh no, no. My train of thought of I distracted my own self. <laughs> okay, let's 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 reverse. I was talking about what were we talking about before that? You're at home, you'd had chemo and it failed. Um, oh nuts. Oh the recovery. The recovery after chemo. Oh yes, yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it was, it was just, um, it was so hard because I, I was just so fatigued and so exhausted and could not function. And I remember it was probably like a good month or so after chemo ended, I was like, okay, I'm going to go to my studio because I didn't go, I didn't design anything while going through chemo. I didn't draw, I didn't sketch, I didn't do anything. Because in my mind, I was like, I'm just going to die. What's the point of designing anything? Because it's never going to be made. Mm-hmm. And so then when everything happened, I was like, okay, I got to go to my studio. I want to sew something. Like I haven't sewn in, mm-hmm. at that point it was like eight months or so. And I had... Um, uh, really bad neuropathy in my yeah, fingers. I, yeah, yeah. And it took me 10 minutes to thread my needle on my machine. And I ended up just like in hysterical tears. Yes. Because it was this realization of like, you know, they told me that because I, it was, I, my, the 
I think it was oxaliplatin that I was on that caused the neuropathy. And they were like, tell us if it starts happening because we will take you off of it because it can become permanent. And I got through 10 of 12 rounds uh, of being able to do it before the neuropathy got too bad. And um, it, uh, it just terrified me because I was like, oh, my God what if my fingers never work again? Like, how am I going to do? I am a very tactile person. I like my stress relief, my everything, my, you know, my passion, my drive, everything comes from my hands and working with my hands and making things. And so the idea that that might not be possible was just terrifying. And um, I also like, I remember, I now remember where I started with the story. I was, it was like my second or third round of chemo. It was after the break. And I, because I was living alone and I'm, I'm a very stubborn Taurus. And I was, it was a few days after, because I had a pump that I would get. Um, basically, I would go in, get an infusion on Fridays for, or on Wednesdays for like, I don't know, six hours and then get attached to a pump. And then have that pump that was like right in the center of my chest. Um, I have to wear that until Saturday and then be detached and then get pumped up with steroids and then go home and then feel like shit. And then, you know, and then do it again in 10 days. Um, (laughs) You know that, you know that game. So I was, it was, you know, the period after the initial chemo, but still you feel really, really shitty. And I was boiling pasta and I had to take my office chair and bring it into the kitchen because it had wheels and sit on it to wheel around to do things because I couldn't stand. And I went to dump the pasta water out in the sink and I almost spilled it all over myself. And it scared me because I just was like, oh shit, like I am too weak and I can't do this. And like, I just kept like, I had also just gotten off of, um, not bed rest, but pretty much bed rest, like confined to my bed or the couch for surgery. Cause I had, when I had surgery, it was laparoscopic and it was a, a, an eight hour abdominal surgery. Wow. So they were like, you cannot engage your core. Yeah. Period end. And you don't think about it, but like someone had to help me onto the toilet. Someone had to help me off the toilet. Someone had to help me in and out of bed. Someone had to help me, you know, so many things. And I'd had a month of that extreme rest and then chemo started. And so it was this feeling of like, I already felt like I used up all of my help from when I had surgery and from pre-chemo and cancer. And I was so mad. I like my biggest pet peeve is asking for help. Mm -hmm. It always has been. And I know that that stems from like, I had a lot of learning disabilities when I was younger and like, I appreciate it now being a grown up and understanding it, that help was like forced upon me yeah. scholastically. But at the same time, like I just have always rejected it. Cause I'm just like, no, I can do it on my own. No, yeah. go. Yeah. And um, so I felt that way. And then when that pasta incident happened, the next day I went to cancer club and I was telling that story. And this guy who he comes through like maybe once a year and yeah. he, he survived childhood cancer. And so, you know, he's pretty, detached from it as much as a cancer survivor will go well it can be and he just looked me dead in the eyes and he said you will not survive without help yeah 
And I was just like, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> so bad to hear someone say the thing that I feared the most. Yeah. And I was talking about, I like mentioned something about my cat litter box and he's like, I will come over and clean your cat litter box. Like he's basically a stranger. And I, I was like, no, it's fine. It's fine. But he's like, you will not survive without help. And it just stuck with me. And from that point on, I had to have someone with me every weekend. Um, Cause the way that my chemo lined up, it was the weekends and like Monday, Tuesday, yeah. Wednesday that I felt the worst. Yeah. Um, and you know, it was, it was necessary. Cause by the end of it, like, I couldn't, I couldn't go and make myself a meal. I couldn't stand for that long. I, you know, I am, I've always been a fat person and I, um, like I, I am a person who believes in body positivity and body neutrality and do not weigh myself because scales don't tell you your worth. No, do you hear that, people? I hope you do. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I lost, I think it was like 70 pounds during chemo. And honestly, I think that there's so many factors and reasons why I survived and why I'm okay. But I think that that was, had something to do with it, that my body was able to do that. Like there are people that, you know, if you're 150 pounds, your body can't lose 70 pounds. Like, and not saying that their bodies need to lose that, but like, there's so many people that become so dangerously frail and thin and their bodies can't handle it. And I, I had some extra padding and it, it helped me out in the end. <laughs> I sometimes wonder whether it was the same for me. Cause I, I've been a bigger woman, um, yeah, since adult, since I took, well, from 18 onwards really. And, um, and they nuked me. During chemo. And I, I like, I never got, um, what's it when your blood, sh- yeah, neuropenia? Ne- oh, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think it's nerve. I can't. There's too many words. We're not doctors. We don't have to remember all of them, just 63% of them. Exactly. So I, um, yeah, I, I never, my neutropenic. Yeah, I was going to try. Sorry, no, that's all right. We're going to have to look it up. But um, my bloods were normal the entire time. And, um, you know, he gave me the most chemotherapy that he could. And and after my first round, because I had AC um, chemo and and Mm -hmm. um, and the Dr. Ruberson, and I I coped with it quite well in the um, first round, and he said, "I want you to seriously consider dropping that down to fortnightly." It's like, really? <laughs> <laughs> but it's yeah, and I I really do think that like my body, even though it was bigger, it was it coped yeah. remarkably well with the amount of poison <laughs> that yeah. to me. I was I was told that by numerous people. I had an amazing um, this woman when I start when everything started and I started because when it all started before it became cancer, um, I had a lot of body pain because of the cyst and I didn't realize and because like the thing with my shoulder actually is referred pain, referred nerve pain from yeah. your diaphragm and it was pushing on my diaphragm so it was causing pain in my shoulders. Like I had this amazing. Um, uh, my brain just wanted to say anthropologist. 
Nope, she's not. She's an acupuncturist. Um, And I was super thankful because she had actually previously worked at an oncology center. And so she knew she was the only thing that would help me when I was nauseous uh, from chemo. And I could go in there and immediately I would not be nauseous anymore. I was like, it was literally flipping a light switch. And you, you know, I mean, I would assume that you probably got, I had like four or five different drugs that were supposed to combat you know, nausea, which they did. They took the edge off. Like, I mean, thank God for the, the melty ones under your tongue. I mean, they tasted like berry. They're disgusting. But like, I, I am a puker normally in life. And so during chemo, it was rough. Um, And yeah, those were like the only things that there was times. Yes. I would literally like yell to whoever was here. And I was like, I need a pill. I need a pill. Because I was just like, I'm going to otherwise project a vomit onto the carpet. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, she She was always surprised by like how well I was doing, yeah. coping with it and doing with it. And it, um, it was... I like how I'm telling this story and little, little things just keep coming back to me that like, I honestly haven't thought about since it happened that um, I forgot a major part that my oncologist had gone to a conference two weeks before he met me that specifically had a new treatment for pancreatic cancer that had just, the studies had just come out in France. And so he got, that was the one that I ended up going on. And it was like, that freaky timing of like, if I would have gotten diagnosed two weeks earlier, I wouldn't have been put on that. If I like just these, I don't know why that just popped into my head, but you know, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we remember things in a different way and at a different rate than people yes. do. Yes. <laughs> There's so many other things I want to ask you, but I, f- I feel like we'll be talking forever um, because there are so many things that are similar and um, I'm curious about, but it is it's so cool talking to you. It always amazes me how we can have different cancers but there is such a similarity in our experiences and the and the yeah, just that shared experience is like you never ever want anyone else to go through it. But when you meet someone and you just go, Yep, I get that, it oh, kinda yeah. it helps. Mm-hmm. It's something that people I've heard it said about COVID, and I think it is very um it fits with cancer, is that we are all on the same sea. Yes. In the same storm, but we're in different boats. Absolutely. And I feel that way about chemo and cancer, yeah. that we're all in the shitty cancer sea that no one wants to be on. Mm. But, you know, some of us have a yacht. Some of yeah. us are like Jack from the Titanic holding on to a piece of wood that you can obviously fit on, but Rose won't let you on. Oh, my God, that is such a good <laughs> It's it's true. It's true for chemo and it's true for COVID. Two C's that I don't ever want to go through again. Thanks so much for joining me today. The C Word airs every Sunday on Auckland's Planet FM 104.6 FM or online at www.planetaudio.org.nz forward slash the C Word. Thanks for joining me and I'll see you next time.
If your man gives you trouble, just to move out on the double and you don't let it trouble your brain. Cause away goes trouble down the drain. Said away goes trouble down the drain.
please, man. Pretty please with a uh, cherry on top. Thank you. So chill, chilly, willy, penguin, feather road. Cause I'm sipping pro. Yeah, that met this pro. Pro methazine. Yeah, stepping stone. Oh, they acting up. Get your weapons wrong. They only killing time. Another second gone. I heard your man at home. Now you melatonin. But you acting young. And you hella grown. She giving me love, but it fuck my energy up. Every time it's finna be summer, only got the memories of us. And now we industry lovers, they making enemies of us. I mean, them times being public, they drain this energy from us. Visit it to Mia, be my senorita. They either or I be the either way, you need a visa. I ain't talking about master cards, debit cards, either. Credit charge, permit the frog, margaritas? Yeah, I heard she got a man, homie. Yeah. 